0: RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. We like to talk about climate matters here at Reality Check Radio. Earlier in the week, we had Ian Plymer talking and he told us about his books. And uh, we have been commenting just in the last day or so on New Zealand and firing line as scientists sound alarm over extreme Antarctica events. You've heard us talk about that. Also, there's the story that BlackRock is backing New Zealand with Clean Energy Investment Fund. I want to welcome to our program, Uh, for this Thursday morning, Joanne Nova, science presenter, writer, speaker, former TV host, author of The Skeptic's Handbook, over 200,000 copies distributed and available in 15 languages. And she has a website, joenova.com.au. She's based in Western Australia in Perth, and she joins us this morning on RCR. Joanne, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time.
1: It's great to talk to you.
0: Okay, so I want to try and establish a thing here um the, the you know the term fraud climate change fraud is you hear it a lot is the climate change fraud an actual fraud do you think i mean are we being played is there anything in it is it an exaggeration or is it a fraud pure and simple
1: Look, and that's a very charged term to use, but I would like to see someone investigate with a view to negligence, incompetence, and we look at our national institutions in uh, these enormous billion-dollar institutions, and to me there's a real element here where they are not saying the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You know, they they kind of stick to a technical truth in a very very small sense of the word their truths are they like the half truths and all of the stuff they're not saying that they know perfectly well most of these scientists to me it's a lie by omission and so I would like to see someone try and hold their feet to the fire so to speak and ask them why they're not telling people the other side of the story you know part of the other side of the story speaking of Antarctica is they suffered enormous loss of sea ice in 2016 but we couldn't predict that we couldn't see that coming we couldn't explain it at the time so why pick on the loss of sea ice now and say oh this is climate change they couldn't explain why sea ice was building up and increasing in the years before 2016 it comes and it goes and They can't predict it with their models. They don't know why these big transformations happen. A lot of sea ice is is changes in winds and ocean currents, Hmm. and the the models simply can't predict that kind of thing. And when we look at long-term temperature trends, when I say long-term, for goodness sake, long-term, I'm talking, you know, 50 or 70 years of temperatures in Antarctica, which is not long-term at all, but We don't see a big temperature rise except in the parts of Antarctica which are coincidentally on top of a line of volcanoes. Mm. The Western Antarctica Peninsula being, you know, they discovered 90 new volcanoes we didn't know about underneath that in about 2016. And so this idea that Antarctica is warming and melting, has you know, that's been an idea put forward completely falsely because most of Antarctica, the giant plateau with its three-kilometre-thick slabs of ice, is just as cold as it ever was. And if it warmed from minus 60 to minus 58, who cares? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's not a big deal. In
0: in a relatively short time on the geological time scale.
1: Well, and indeed, when we look at the ice core data, in say Law Dome, Antarctica, you can see enormous variations there in the last ten thousand years, where it's gone up, it's gone down, and it's not nothing to do with CO two. It has always had variations in temperature. We see that in Greenland as well, in the ice cores in Greenland, the huge variations in the last ten thousand years. But you know, don't talk about actual climate change. Don't talk about real climate change, which has been going on forever because that will just blow away the idea that this last 50 years is somehow special.
0: I just wonder if you're, you know, call yourself a scientist, an expert, overused word, um, the point you make about omission, you would know that there's something lacking in your scientific approach if you are omitting stuff. You know.
1: Well, absolutely. Like like it's a
0: willful act.
1: Well, it is. I guess the kindest thing we could call it is a kind of cult cult where people sincerely believe what they're saying. And I often say this, people, these scientists are going to tea rooms where they're discussing with everyone else in the field, gee, look, I've had these strange results. They don't really fit the pattern. And everyone else says, oh, but, you know, our results fit the pattern and therefore yours must be just an aberration. But in truth, every single one of these fields has had to alter or change or adjust or find a reason, and it might be a legitimate reason, but they're only looking for one kind of adjustment. They're not looking for adjustments which drag the record the other way. It's like an eternal paid hunt for reasons to believe in climate change. And because they have sacked the scientists who disagree and because they never fund a study where people are looking to find out what if the sun causes climate change? What if it is actually the change in the UV and infrared spectrum from the sun? What if it's cosmic rays or the solar wind or magnetic fields coming off the sun, which are changing our jet streams? There's no one hardly paid to look at these things. So what we've got is a tea room full of people who've all written climate change into their grants. And they all sit around saying, no, no, we know climate change is real. Your results must be wrong. But the truth is, if you look at almost all the results, they're all adjusted. They're all contorted and, like I said, they might be real adjustments, but they're only in one direction. It's weird, isn't it? It's like there's a conspiracy of instruments around the world, the, 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 yeah. the wind shear and the thermometers and the... They've been uh,
0: calibrated the, wrong.
1: They've they're all come out the wrong way. What think of the bad luck it is for these scientists that all their instruments accidentally push back against the idea that CO2 controls the climate?
0: So... um A lot of it's follow the money.
1: It is. I mean, look, they funded, they bought a crisis. When you pay to find a crisis, we get what we paid for. It's, you know, and that's not to say that the scientists are being fraudulent in the sense that they know what they're doing is wrong, but they are innocently putting climate change into every grant they apply for. And then they keep coming up with answers, which gets them more money. And when they find results that don't fit in puzzlement, they just put those results into their drawer. I'll come back and look at them later. I'll get that file out when I think of a reason why it's wrong. (laughs) You know, it's and, and, you know, I'm being as kind as possible here, and they probably don't deserve that given how many times well, maybe they, they, do. Could have, they could have come forward and, and pointed out that when we look at the long-term records, the climate has been through wild changes and cold is deadlier than warming for a mammal at 37 degrees. And we see that all around the world. The studies on health show that you risk 6 to 20 times as many deaths in cold moments as what you get in heat and and yet they keep telling us that, you know, hot, spa- hot spots and heat waves and things like that are the deadliest thing on earth. When study after study shows, it's actual cold that causes far more deaths.
0: Yeah, there's a kind of like a fear propaganda that goes with it, is our impression. I say our mind and, you know, our listeners too, because we're, we're exchanging stuff on this all the time. And uh, the most recent being, you know, um, global boiling, I think that was Antonio Guterres who used or coined that phrase, the way that uh, the weather has been presented in Europe recently with all the sort of the colour grading and the, you know, the reds and the orange and the, you know, uh, it, all the graphics that go with it. We're being told relentlessly that we're having severe weather events linked to climate change, though people are struggling to to, to identify the severity of the weather events because they seem like what we've all kind of had all along every now and then. They're not that common but they're not that rare either. So there seems to be a real propaganda, brainwashing, relentless push.
1: It does and it does stop, become, and it keeps
0: it intensifying all the time.
1: It has. It's become absurd. I think there was a Boy Scout event recently in um, in Korea where the teams were leaving to go home and I looked to see what the temperature was and I think they were talking 38 degrees celsius and the Australian team was toughing it out and I'm like well it's just summer. Every,
0: I remember 43 <laughs> degrees in Melbourne one day.
1: Well and that, e- exactly. And
0: that's not as hot as it gets. Yeah so we've had this all the time. Yeah. So you have to suspend almost don't believe your lion eyes.
1: It is like that. It is weird and and what you must never do is look at history. Because all you have to do is go back through uh, the, the records from the medieval times, from old newspapers, from records from 1930 bushfires, the 1850 bushfire, 51 bushfires in Australia, and you can always find something worse, something bigger, something hotter, something more deadly, and it, your history is full of it. And, uh, uh, you know, I've got the confidence now after blogging for, well, you know, nearly 15 years, mm. I know that when someone reports a flood in Toowoomba, I can go back through our national archives and i'll find something worse if i can only look far enough and hard enough and there's it goes back to medieval times across europe we find records during medieval warm periods of soldiers dying in uh, <laughs> on the fields and that the heat caused more deaths in some, I've forgotten the name of the particular battle, but it, around about 1000 AD, and more soldiers were dying from the heat than in war. And, well, yeah. you know, we're talking 1000 years ago, the, the heat waves. Was that due to SUVs in medieval No, or
0: flying? No, it wasn't. No. Um, it's interesting you mentioned that because here we had a recent case. I don't know if you heard about it. We're after a weather event about six months ago now. Uh, there was a huge, um, well, they call it a cyclone, but it was basically a huge dump of rain which flooded valleys and uh, wiped out a few communities. Actually, some people died. It was we, pretty We rough. saw
1: that on the news here. It was yeah. played, absolutely.
0: Now, um, that was linked by our National Institute for Water and Atmosphere, NIWA, to um, climate change, generating more extreme weather events, and that was held up as an example of that. And they gave some data to to show that. Um, An investigative journalist um, decided to take a look at that. First thing he found was their data didn't go back before 1978. So that's not very long ago. Also, he went through all the old newspapers back into the 1800s and the shipping reports, which logged barometric pressure, wind speed, um, rain level, all of that sort of stuff, and found that there had been huge events, weather events, going back way back, way worse than anything we've seen actually recently, if you look at it over the time period. So it really showed that that uh, institute, that institution was basically trying to make a political point. Mm -hmm. They were politicizing their data, which we owned. It's not even their data. The public owned it. And it's kind of laughable to think that you would cut off your, your historical data when I was still at school.
1: It is incredible, isn't it? It is like the entire geological history of our countries is being forgotten as well as the records from all those dedicated observers. And and to put this in perspective, the thermometer was invented, I think, 400 years ago. So... We talk about it was an old technology. By the time our explorers were wandering across in the 1800s across New Zealand and across Australia recording temperatures, they were trained observers, often astronomical observers, trained to put their thermometers in the shade five feet above the ground and record temperatures. It isn't that hard a technology to use and to get it right. And why are we dumping all of those historic measurements as if they don't exist and can't be compared? And I often say in Australia, Australia, you know our former you know the stevenson screen is a wooden box they put thermometers in and we've changed that box quite a lot and we've changed the thermometers but we've got records of people building a slightly different kind of screen enclosure from the 1800s where are the phds who are building and recreating these old screens and putting them right next to new screens in the same paddock where are they trying to do our long-term records It's as if they don't want to know. They don't want to pull out things from our our Federation drought in the late 1890s because it was so hot that the last thing they want to do is be able to compare temperature records from the 1800s with now because it will show that the long-term records in Australia, there were hot days in the 1800s which were hotter possibly than today. in 1896 hmm. in in Australia, they had to put on emergency trains to rescue people from the back of Burke because <laughs> people were dying at the train station and See. they would put them on a train to take them to the hills. And there were hundreds of deaths in January 1896 from heat waves in Australia that nobody mentions anymore.
0: Yeah, the thing about it though, isn't it? Uh, uh, the misuse of data, the omission of data, that's a great example of what you you just said. There is being used to try and change the way we live, and it could lower our standard of living, and compromise the the freedom of people, freedom of expression, but also freedom of you know physical freedom of traveling and and choosing to go places. This is a high stakes game. It seems yeah, absolutely, to me. And, it and is. Yeah, so, so it, there's a kind of a sinister edge to it in that way, isn't there?
1: Well, very much so. I mean, fossil fuels give us the freedom to do what we want, when we want, to move, to drive, and they're coming after our cars, they're coming after our gas stoves, they're coming after our food, you know, the meat we want to put on the barbecue. It's all going to be electronic. They want us to shift to electronic everything and eat our bugs. And this is a huge impost on our freedom. And my point, which has been the same for 15 years, is you want our money, you You need to cough up the evidence. You need to make your case. And they have always avoided debate. And their way of avoiding debate is just to call us names. You're a climate denier, which is to say we don't need to debate you. We don't need to provide evidence because there's a consensus. And, I mean, remember in science a consensus is worthless. It's all about evidence. It's not about the opinions of any number of scientists.
0: Consensus really means absolutely, doesn't it?
1: It is. And and so you look at the way they have dodged debate all along, when if the evidence was so overwhelming, as they've been saying all along, oh, the evidence is overwhelming. Remember them saying that it's just basic physics and things like that. And it, if there's so much evidence, why can't they answer that question? And they always do the dishonest thing of just citing some IPCC report, some opinion survey of scientists who are all paid, remember, to find a crisis. So they might sincerely believe what they're being told, but we sack the scientists who d- who don't agree. We don't offer them the grants. We don't listen to them. We don't let them speak at IMF things. Which, of course, you may have heard of a Nobel laureate from in physics last year who came out as a skeptic, and then the IMF cancelled his speech.
0: Wow! So
1: yeah. extraordinary.
0: Okay do you do you sense that it, there could be any sort of change here, or are we sort of marching headlong? It's unstoppable now there's too much pushing it from behind that this is an inevitable kind of rollover of, of us by a a certain class. I don't know. Uh, Can you see this turning around or, or is it, already too late. What do you think? Look,
1: no, I, look I have hope and uh, radio shows like yours are part of that. They're really important for getting the message out. I see two waves coming at us at the moment. One is the wave of getting the word out, getting the message out, the kind of things that you're doing. And the other wave is the wave of all this money which has been bet the other way and which is being backed up with increasingly absurd things. They've backed themselves into a corner because they are lever- gravitating this in t- billions of dollars on this idea that carbon is pollution when actually, you know, we are carbon life forms. It is the stuff of life. And we, well, well are taking we the carbon. stuff
0: of life. That's, that's weird.
1: It, it, it is, isn't it? And so it's almost like it
0: a self-loathing
1: It's an absurd proposition from beginning to end. It basically trashes everything that we were taught in high school physics and chemistry way back when they actually used to teach physics and chemistry at high school. And so you've got people now who believe that if I had carbon pollution in my body, I should try and get rid of it. A friend of mine actually ran that survey in the Hay Street Mall over here and found that a huge number of people said, oh, my gosh, if I had carbon in my body, yes, I'd want to get rid of it. How crazy is that? It is just trashing chemistry. History lessons. So what we've got is this incredible force, all that money, bet on this belief which is absurd, and the word is spreading that it's absurd as the punishment grows. So I see these two waves kind of meeting in the middle. I don't know which way this is going to come out, but we're seeing huge pushback, and in the US, the states of the US may yet save the Western world. 23 states in the US are pushing back against BlackRock and the other giant money cartels which banded together in this incredible moment two years ago at Glasgow. They banded together to say, well, we're going to just dictate the way, you know, national policy should be effectively and bankers are going to start to punish people, uh, punish governments and, and punish companies, which won't be able to get insurance if they're using fossil fuels, they won't be able to. And so these big, big financial cartels were going to bully businesses and countries, whole countries. I and mean, you look at Australia, we've got net zero now. That was announced at Glasgow at that conference in November 2021. We didn't vote for it. We voted for when we had a choice every time in the last 10 years, we have voted for a government that did lesser and promised less net zero action. We got net zero then and Josh Frydenberg and Scott Morrison said at the time they actually revealed one moment that they we had got net zero because the big bankers had said our interest rates were going to rise 1.5% if we didn't get a sensible Gun. net zero policy. Gun to the that head. Underneath all that is the message from BlackRock and those other giants that Australia needed to get rid of coal. They said that openly. And they said we needed net zero, our interest rates would go up. Isn't that just threats, bullying and intimidation by yeah. the bankers? For a nation and the voters voted the other way. Who runs the country? Is it the voters or is it the bankers?
0: Well, that's who we're trying to what we're trying to think about at the moment now. I mentioned at the start of our chat that we've output well, we've, no one asked me, no one asked the citizens, but our government has done a um a fund deal with BlackRock to help us decarbonize and head to that net zero. And no one, like I say, no one asked us. BlackRock has a um, economic power the size of a nation. I think it's the third most powerful economic force in the world, 30 trillion under management. So, you know, New Zealand's just small fry. They can dictate with their resources anything at our scale. So, it, it should surely... we be afraid? Very afraid.
1: It is it is look it's very hard for people to imagine the scale of these things. I think BlackRock has 9 trillion so it's 9,000 billion dollars under management in their their asset fund and then there's State Street and Vanguard and they all have shares in each other, they're large controlling interests in each other as well as in virtually every major share you can name. Pfizer. Now think about the amount of money involved in that. We're talking thousands of billions. To put that in perspective, as you said, the third largest country in terms of GDP, I think the US GDP is around 23 trillion. So the combined assets of these are three, which tend to vote in the same direction most of the time on issues, those three giant asset fund managers are larger than the largest economy in the world and gefance which was the glasgow financial uh, network for net zero was uh, they were talking 100 um 100 trillion to 130 trillion dollars under management when they added in all the insurance asset managers as well as the bankers so this is just a vast sum of money in the world and they are threatening governments now australia's gdp is about 1.5 or 2 trillion so it's larger then the it, it, these companies are pushing, able to push money around. Now, the big bluff here, which is really important that people get a hold of this, the big bluff is that BlackRock don't own that money. It is theirs in the sense of they're managing it, but it is your superannuation fund, it is your pension plan which has been uh brought under the wing of these. Managers and the managers are coming there, waving this flag at governments saying, Look, we're going to do this or do that, we're threatening you with moving funds in ways that you don't like and punishing you. But it isn't their money to do that with. And if people said with their pensions and their, their their plans, their retirement funds, if they said, hang on a minute, I don't want my funds used in this sort of bullying and intimidation. You know, I vote for fossil fuels, but my funds are being used against me, then it would all change in a moment, and that's where the big bluff is with BlackRock and these other asset managers. It's not their money. As a company, I think BlackRock is worth something two dollars or $300 billion. It's a big company, but it isn't trillions. And so their power would vanish in an instant, and that's what's happening when we're with states like Florida uh, Virginia and uh, across the US, Texas and whatnot, and they're all getting together, these 23 Republican-controlled states, and they're saying to BlackRock, well, hang on, we are not going to let you use our pension funds of our state employees. And they're calling that money in. And that's where I see real power from the people coming back to the people, because BlackRock is afraid of that. And if word spreads, I think, you know, Florida only pulled out, say, 2 billion, which is nothing in the big scheme of things for BlackRock. Mm-hmm. Yep. But what BlackRock's really afraid of is that message will spread.
0: Like a domino effect.
1: And yes, and so it's not just Florida pulling out, but then all the other states will pull out. Then the individuals will start to say, well, hang on a minute, is my money with BlackRock? And you probably don't know if your money is with BlackRock. You have to ask a lot of questions. Who has your pension fund? Who owns them? Who owns them? And follow that chain back before you get to BlackRock and find out that, yes, you are indeed supporting these powers who are coming after your government to get the government to do exactly the opposite of what you voted for. Hmm. And if there was a one-world government, and these words are always so loaded, I'm a conspiracy theorist, I mentioned one-world government. Well, you, know, you just look Brown at the way it,
0: things are coming but- together and, okay, it's maybe not so wacky and weird as it used to be anyway. just so. But
1: my, my point here is if there was one-world government, it would look a lot like this, like a cartel which was leaning on national governments and actually controlling a national government more than the voters are. Mm. If the these cartels, call it the UN, call it the World Economic Forum, call it BlackRock, call it whatever you want, but there is cartel. there are cartels out there with power to influence our national governments to get them to do policies that the voters have no interest in. And we see increasingly national governments seeking to do policies which make no sense at all in terms of where are our conservative parties? It is, And we see the situation in England and Britain at the moment where the conservative party's just woken up to the idea that, hang on, we could oppose things like these bollards being put on roads to stop drivers driving the 15-minute cities, Mm. the plan to punish fossil fuel cars, to force electric vehicles on everyone, these heat pumps they're forcing. And UK voters are really facing a lot of money that they are being asked to cough up in the next seven years to make this net zero force transition happen, and they are starting to say no. And the Conservatives appear to have just woken up in the last month to the idea that, you know what, we might not have to lose the next election. We might even win (laughs) if we come out speaking for the people saying maybe the people like energy, warmth, cars, they want to have foreign holidays, they want to eat beef. There's an open door there. And the left, I tell you, the left must be terrified that if the Conservatives only get some balls and stand up to this, that there will be landslide victories like the one by Tony Abbott, 90 seats in Australia in 2013, a massive win, one of the biggest wins in the last 25 years in Australian politics. And where are the Conservatives in Australia? Mostly nowhere. Pathetic.
0: Yeah, so just to to, to wind up, uh, so our, our politicians, our Prime Minister could have said no to Larry Fink. No, th- thanks, great offer, but no. But he didn't. Exactly. So why would you not? Is it there instruments of torture on display somewhere?
1: <laughs> well, or are there great sweet deals of who what knows jobs? what kind of, jo- yes, ambassadors? Well, our Prime Minister for- was
0: filmed walking out of the headquarters of BlackRock in November last year, quite mm. a high-profile thing. So mm. maybe this is the culmination of that. Former Prime well, Minister.
1: when you manage a $9,000 billion fund, you can offer all kinds of sweet golden handshake deals to politicians, can't you? I mean, really, I've got, I've got no evidence necessarily that that is going on, I should say. It's mere Well, speculation, the BlackRock but- guy
0: that, um, you know, the Project Veritas guy, James O'Keefe, yes. filmed undercover, Came out and said we can buy a senator for 10K. He went yeah. through the whole list. So,
1: yes, I'm sure that it's cheaper to buy Australian politicians than US politicians. <laughs> and when you think about our democracies just sitting ducks for yeah. those kind of deals, which may be the only way to understand why so many conservatives seem so slow to pick up this electoral gift this easy win but we are seeing that in the uk which is why another reason why i've got some hope that we may not lose this battle despite the enormous forces coming against us to clamp down to censor us to stop us talking and sh- and because what they're really afraid of is the word getting out and when yep. people wake up to the fact that the climate change debate is not about the science it's all about religion and cult and money
0: so it's a it's a replacement a religion a replacement of traditional religious Structure is it, or it, well, it's the same sort of structure, but it's uh, like, yes. like a I transfer mean, from the so the old, uh, I don't know, um, spiritual realm religions to something more earthly, but nonetheless a religion.
1: Yes, well, think about it, you know, your worth and your value is so easily obtained. If you just want your overseas holidays, it's fine as long as you pay for the carbon credits. Someone else will do it. it's a few dollars extra on your flight so you can say you're flying carbon neutral, you know, but you're still enjoying your holiday and yeah, Tahiti or wherever. <laughs> and, and, and this is the big thing that when they did a recent poll uh, in Australia, the Greens voters, they don't mind giving up their meat and they don't mind buying their electric vehicles or these other extra costs in electricity. That's all fine but just don't stop me flying. Yeah, I need At to go to Bali or, or wherever. Yeah, yeah
0: don't, well, don't yeah, crimp that.
1: I mean, it's just also two-faced, isn't it? But it very much has become a religion. Climate change has nothing to do with science, and you know that because of the way they don't support the one clean energy source, which is the lowest emission, most reliable energy source on Earth. It's got a 50-year history of running reliably. It's got a very low accident rate, a very I low think I know rate. which one you're going to And, of course, it. I'm talking about about nuclear and we know that they will never support nuclear and yet if you were really worried about carbon dioxide i mean really if you thought it was going to cause an existential threat the sixth mass extinction on earth it's going to threaten the planet the third in 12 years yeah. all you have to do is build nuclear plants everywhere and they're not
0: well australia is happy to have nuclear submarines powered submarines so
1: and I tell you what: when it comes to the crunch and our energy grid falls over, plugging those nuclear subs in might be our best source of reliable <laughs> energy.
0: <laughs> Just need long extension cords. All right, um, and um, I suppose if uh, there's a change of, uh, you know, Trump or, or RFK Junior. in the states next year, that could have a bearing too, couldn't it? You're well, talking absolutely. about the um, conservatives in the UK.
1: Yes, and as I keep saying to our Australian voters, sadly. The Australian elections are not as exciting as the US election is, and we just hope there's a fair one, uh, although I've got my doubts. Um But that is so important. I mean, imagine just do the experiment in your head, the thought experiment. If Trump was the President of the United States at the moment, how many green policies would Australia and New Zealand be adopting? How hard would it be for our governments to pick up the full net zero pill, swallow it whole, if Trump was there poking holes in it and the US was pulling out of all these deals? And, of course, China and India are not in the... um, in the big plan of these green deals, and nor is Japan. The largest economies in the world are not buying it. I mean, the US is at the moment, but so much depends on that US election next year.
0: Interesting chat. Thanks for making some time for us, Joanne.
1: It's great to talk to you.
0: Yeah, Joanne Nova from Perth, and maybe we'll talk again and keep up. I
1: I, I hope so. I look forward to it.
0: Keep up the activity on, on your website, and I'll be checking it from time to time. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. RCR
0: with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.